brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We're thankful that you've given it to us. We're thankful, Lord, that it it will not pass away. It is eternal. And Lord, I pray that this morning that you would be with Justin as he brings uh, us a message uh, that you put on his heart based on your word, that you would let it penetrate our hearts, that it would take root, and that uh, we would see the fruit that grows from that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Anthem Church. Um, Rick is not going to be preaching. He's taking a, a three-week hiatus. I don't know why. No, he's actually doing his doctorate, so we're, we're going to give him a little break. Um, but he asked me to preach this morning, and so what should I do? I should probably introduce myself. My name is Justin Casper, and really the only thing you need to know about me this morning as I am giving the message is simply this. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. That's all you need to know. I mean, I am a volunteer here at church. I, I'm not studied in the art of giving lectures or, or, or I should say preaching, um, but this is, this is who I am. And really what we're doing is we're continuing, continuing our study through the book of Philippians. Now, I know a lot of you have probably been here with us. Some of you have not, and that's totally fine. I, hopefully I will keep you, keep, keep, get you up to speed. But really this morning, what we're doing is we're primarily focusing, by going through the book of Philippians, we're focusing on the glory of God. Now, a lot of people say glory of God. What does that actually mean? Well, what does that mean? It means to honor or to give worthiness due to something. So we are to give honor to Jesus Christ. That is what the book of Philippians, uh, as we've been studying, is talking about. So this morning I've been given the task of going through Philippians chapter 3, 17 through 21, or well, 4, 1, which, which we just read. But the theme for tonight, today's message is this. The glory, of, the glory of God is found in our expectations. The glory of God is found in our expectations. All right, so what is an expectation? Well, I simply will use Webster because he has more knowledge than I do. An expectation is a strong belief that something will happen in the future. With that being said, we all have expectations. Like this sermon, you found out that I was teaching. I don't know what that means, but you have expectation about that. But I do know this. Because I'm a guest speaker, you're thinking we're going to get out of here early. Yay! <laughs> Look, I like to talk, and that's a lofty goal for me. And I will see what I can do. But, you know, but we all have expectations, and it comes in different ways. Like today, you are all expecting to leave here and go eat lunch. Am I not right? Yes. Everybody gets hungry right after church. Some of you who are parents, you got to do your grocery shopping today. So you expect when you go to the grocery store that your kids are going to be well-behaved. <laughs> Actually, that's probably why you leave them at home, because you know they will misbehave. All right? That is an expectation. If you are pregnant, you are expecting a little beautiful baby, whether it's a boy or girl, I don't know, but you're expecting. That's great. Tomorrow, when you go to work tomorrow, in a few days, you expect a paycheck. Yes. And when you don't pay your bills, yeah, you better believe it, creditors are going to call. Our lives are surrounded by expectations. Some expectations we have on other people, and some expectations are those that we, you know, sometimes place on us or others place on us. But grace, expectations are so real that Charles Dickens even wrote a book called Great 
Expectations. Yes, and in that book, it, it really sta- it follows the story of a, a little young man named Pitt. Now, Pitt was given a lot of money, and you know he was born in a you know, poor environment, but after giving this, uh, this allotment of money, he goes off and he's going to school, and he, is, he has be- expectations of being something grand and loftier than what he would have been if he wasn't. And although his life didn't work out the way he wanted it to, and he really never lived up to the true identity that he did, that's different than us. Why? Because if you call yourself a Christian, we have the greatest expectation known the world over. It is the glorious return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going to begin this morning. If you would, uh, open your Bibles up to Philippians 3.17. If you, don't bring, if you haven't brought your Bible, it's okay. There's some in the pew or in your seats right beside it. You can turn to that, uh, 637. Now, we always have this, and I always, you know, I'll preface this. This is a gift to you if you don't have a, a copy of, of God's Word. But if you take it, I expect you to read it. <laughs> ah, yeah, all right. So, you know, that's, that, that's how it is. All right, so if not, you can always follow along. The verses are going to be up here on the screen. So as, I, you know, as, as we get into the, the message this morning, really I've broken it up into kind of like three parts. And the first one is, is broken up into you know, three divisions of the, um, the verses that we have going here. But the first one, I'm just, it's going to be on verse 17. All right? And it's the expectations of a believer. What are the expectations of a believer in Jesus Christ? So if you would, if you're there, let's read verse 17. Brothers... Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Now, Paul is writing this letter, all right? And Paul specifically uses the word brothers, all right? Now, this, is a quali- this, is, this, is, this also means sisters. I'm just not talking to the guy folk here. This is, this is really anybody who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. He is talking to Christians, Anybody who is accepted in their hearts, confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that he was raised from the dead. That's Romans 10, 9, and 10. A Christian is one who has willfully given up the life that they once wanted to live for the life that God has called them to live. When we have accepted Christ, this is the really cool thing. We become family. Now, I have a lot of my family here today and their blood relatives But when you enter into the family of God, we become family. We become brothers and sisters of one another. We are together. We are supposed to be together in all things, which is promoting our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Acts 2, uh, 2, 44 says this, and this was the beginning of the the church when it it first began in, in Acts. And it says, and all who believed in Jesus were together and had all things in common. See, when we put Jesus first, we have all things in common. We support one another. We uplift one another. You know, if we have differences, we resolve those differences because we have something greater to look forward to, and that is Jesus. And there's other one thing that is in common that we all have, and it's this. I know this is a big word, but it's called sanctification. Anybody heard of that word before? I see a few hands. All right, it's in the Bible. Uh, Trust me, it's there. But sanctification simply is just, it's a big word for simply saying this. We as Christians are to become more Christ-like. We are supposed to look like Jesus. That means we are to help each other grow to be like Christ. We are to, you know, set that example of looking like him. It says in here, brothers, join in imitating me. Now, this is a kind of a, a bold statement for, for Paul to, to say, but, you know, Paul was one of those bold guys. You know, he says, imitate me. I mean, he was proud of that fact. But I think if we really need to look deeper into this, you know, what this is uh, talking about, we need to go to 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. There, Paul defined that approach when he said, be imitators of me. He says, be imitators of me, as I am of Jesus. Don't just look at me. Look who I am imitating. I am imitating Jesus. 
And as brothers and sisters, this is what we are to do. Imitate me as I am imitating Jesus. Imitate me, Paul said, as I am imitating Jesus. Paul set a very unbelievable example for Christians to live. But who was he following after? He was following after Jesus. (laughs) That was a really unbelievable example to live, a sinless life. Paul, on the, on the you know, tail ends of Jesus, has to live a sinless life. Well, I mean, I know that he didn't live up to that. We'll get into that. But, you know, Paul had, you know, a really, I would say, difficult life. You know, he was beaten. He was left thirsty and hungry. He had many a sleepless nights. He would go into the synagogues and preach about Jesus, and they would cast him out. They would beat him, throw rocks at him you know, stoning, um, you know, almost to the point of death. And with all of that, I mean, he had anxieties going from one town to the next to preach about the gospel of Christ. But here's one thing. Paul was also covered by God's mercy, his grace, just faithfulness, the perseverance, and just the love that God had for him. It's that same favor that all of us as Christians get as well. So why imitate Paul? Because I think Paul was the most in tune with what God expects of his people. I know Rick said this in his prayer, and it's in our our creed here at at Anthem Church, but he was love-filled. He was faith-filled. He was hope-filled. You know what? He was Jesus-filled. That is why why it's in our our church creed. We want to be like him. We want to be Christ-like. We should want to be Jesus-filled, just like Paul was. The verse goes on and says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those walking according to the example that you have in us. This verse ends with that, the example that you have in us. See, Paul set an example of what Christians are supposed to be like. Guess what? Somebody picked up that example and followed him. And then somebody else picked up that example and followed him. Even to today, we have Christian friends that are following the example that was, you know, really through the line of Paul, ultimately through Jesus. It's just like the Olympic torch. If somebody's running with the Olympic torch, they hand it off to the next person. The next person doesn't just stop and walk and then hand it to the next person and then they skip and jump. No, the, the, the example is set They are to take it and they are to run with pride and go through, you know, whatever it is, whatever trial it is. It could be the the weather, it could be the steep hills. I don't know what it is, but they are carrying that torch to the end goal. That is what really the example that is set for us. We are to imitate Jesus because he is the ultimate example for what we are. So imitate those who are imitating Paul, who is imitating Jesus. We are to be examples for Christ. So you ask, my, you ask me, well, how do I do that? I don't know. Um, you know, I, or at least I didn't know at one point in time. Um, I can honestly say that, you know, if, if anybody's example that I know that I've, I've watched, it, it was Rick's. You know, I've seen what he, he's like, and I wanted to just follow his example, and that's all I've been doing. I've been following his example. I'm simply imitating him. And I know imitating him is kind of a form of flattery in sorts, but it goes far beyond that because doing that, it means he's a role model. And as a role model, that means that I am supposed to follow the model of him. Uh, in some way, I am to really copy what his behavior is. So those who are Christians or, you know, if you are you know, one who is a, a believer in Christ, how did you know? Well, you followed somebody's example. So let me ask you this. It might not be Rick, that, whose example that you are following, but who is the most Christ-centered person that you know that you are following? Who is that person? That's the person you need to focus on because they got it. They get it. Are you imitating them? Now, for myself, 
I can trace my life back to several examples. Rick was not the only, you know, example that was laid out for me. It really, it started back with my parents. My parents, you know, I was raised in a Christian home. In fact, it was around the, uh, the, the kitchen table that, uh, you know, we hadn't had a, a set church that we were going to, but it was during that time that on Sunday mornings we would get together and we would discuss the Bible. And it was during one of those times, my dad loves to talk about eschatology, which is the study of end times, which, you know, it's funny that there's a little bit of end times, you know, in, in this passage, but it was during that study of end times. Man, I was scared to death. I went, up, I went upstairs after that lesson. And I gave myself to the Lord. I said, I don't want to be, I don't want to be that person. All right. Now, I really didn't truly know what it meant to be a Christian at that time. I just knew that it, it had to do something with Jesus. So what did I do? Well, I got involved. Started with getting involved with the church youth group, which I spent many years, you know, with other, you know, young believers, figuring out what it was to live for Christ. After that, I, I've, or even during that, went on several youth trips. Uh, you, know, you know, went all the way up to uh, uh, Pennsylvania, doing this thing called Rolling Vibrations, where we'd go from church to church and just, we'd sing and we would just share the love of Jesus with other people. Well, when I got a little older, I joined Bible studies. As, as a believer, that's, that's where I truly got planted in Scripture. That's where my roots truly started to grow. I started to understand for myself. I didn't need a teacher to tell me, you know, every exact word. I was able to figure it out because the Holy Spirit was able to enlighten me in what the Scripture had to say. All right? Not only that, I became a church member. Not because my parents wanted me to, but because... You know, that's what I was compelled to do as a believer in Jesus Christ. And really, that's when I met Rick. Rick was starting a, you know, in, in the church that we were at, he was, he was actually starting a, a youth group. Um, we're really a, a young age adult group. And I wanted to be a part of that. And to be honest, Paul, I mean, uh, I, I said that wrong, but Rick in sorts is my Paul. Because I saw the example of what he, who he was for Jesus. He was one that had that passion. And a lot of you have heard him preach. He has that passion for Jesus Christ. And I wanted that. And so as I kept wanting it, I began to change. I became to want that passion as well. And I hope that when you see other Christian brothers, you say, I want that. Because that's what we need. We want to have what they got. And once we get it, we go a little bit further. See, that's where change happens. He was a great, uh, and I wouldn't even say this. At the time, he was, he was versed in the Bible. But over the years, I'd ask questions. And, you know, he'd, it, it took him, you know, he would research it. And he'd come back and, you know, he had this ability to explain the scriptures to me. He started going to seminary. See, he invested in the Lord and more was just, you know, added to him. And by that, I wanted to add it to me. I wanted more of what he had. Now, getting back to Paul, Paul didn't start out as the greatest example either. All right. Paul was a murderer. So you say, why a murder? I mean, he sought to destroy Christianity. But Jesus grabbed a hold of his heart. In fact, Paul, you know, changed his life around so much that he is accredited for writing 17 books of the New Testament, in as which that we can get our teaching, our correction, and our training in righteousness that anybody who is uh, a believer is well-equipped to do every good work of God. That's 2 Timothy. We also are to be examples of Jesus Christ. See, Paul set the example of Jesus, and so it's supposed to be carried down. So I ask you this question. Are you that example to your coworkers? Are you the example to your family? All right, let's get a bit of, I mean, because family, you know, they know all the details about you. Let's get a little, let's get a bit down. Are you an example to your spouse? Are you an example to your kids? Now, I have 
almost nine-month-old boy that is, you know, right over the, across the halls. And you know what? He is impressionable. You know, he's, he's picking up the things that me and mom, you know, you know do. And I love it about them. He's, we, we greet him with a smile every day, and I love that, that he greets us back. But if I am to be a true example, man, I don't want him picking up my lazy habits. I don't want him picking up the things that I don't do good. But I'm his example. So that means I need to be on my game and on my guard at all times. Verse 17 says, keep an eye on those who walk. It means to be active in our faith. To walk means we're doing it. We don't get there and then stop. Nobody goes and accepts Jesus as Savior and then, okay, thanks. I'll take the free gift and I'll go on sinning. That's not a Christian. When we accept Jesus, we change. Uh, our, our standard of living doesn't stay the same. It changes. I'll give you some examples. All right. So one, the TV shows we once used to love and watch, you know, the Grey's Anatomies, the Real Housewives, the Real World, we replace them. We turn those suckers off and we turn it to something that is a little bit more wholesome, hopefully. It doesn't seem to be a lot more wholesome uh, on the TVs these days. The music that we used to jam out to. Snoop Doggy Dog. Yeah, see, you guys get it because you know how filthy that music is. And yet it seems like everybody used to jam out to it. Well, you know what? We do replace that. We replace it with what Rick said earlier. We replace it with K-Love, you know, because it is positive and encouraging. All right? <laughs> we are to be the examples. We are to set the examples. And I'll give you a few more examples of that. What about the movies that we watch? What about the movies we let our kids watch? Are we really screening them to, to say, oh, you know, let them? I, I hate to say this. I've watched a few Disney films as of lately. Well, maybe not films per se, but the Disney Channel. Man, I wouldn't let my kids watch that. Man, young adults seem like they know everything, and then adults are just bleh. They, they don't got a brain. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That's, that's not what I'm going to let my kid grow up and watch. Other things, our language, it should change. It should be of more wholesome talk. We don't degrade anybody. We, we, we uplift people. In fact, you know, I can tell you the difference between a non-Christian and a, and a Christian. See, my, my buddy, uh, he doesn't believe in Jesus. And he goes around and he drops some foul words here and there. And he's got a five-year-old son. And he expects his son not to, to say those words, but yet he uses them just within the course of the day. I don't get that. Because if we truly want to be examples, man, his son's going to be soaking that stuff up. He might not be saying it around daddy, but he's going to be saying it. We are the examples to our kids. They have to learn from us. So, again, I ask that question. How, how do we get there? How does it start? It doesn't just happen on its own. So, so what do we need to do? Well, I mean, we stress this here at Anthem Church, but number one, you got to spend time in God's Word. That's why I said, I expect you, if you take this home, you got to read it. Because if we don't read it, then we don't understand what God has for us. There, there can truly be no change. Because I don't want you to imitate me just to imitate me. I want you to imitate it for the reason of what it's for. It's because this gives us the example of who Jesus Christ is. That's the example that I want you to live. Not only that, that we're, we're, re we're reading in God's Word, we're getting into Bible studies with other believers because that's where we're able to take our questions and just ask them, hopefully, fluently, because I don't know everything. I need somebody to go counsel me, you know, and I don't want to just Google it because Google, even though what my, everything, you know, Internet's true, no, it's not, all right? So that's why it's good to get into Bible studies. We surround ourselves with other believers. We're able to, you know, just really use, you know, what they have been taught, and it really opens up our eyes to what Scripture is. And then also we pray. We actively talk to God. That is, as Christians, that is what we're supposed to do. These are the traits of a believer in Jesus Christ. And the expectation of a Christian is that you are supposed to be an imitator 
of Jesus. That's our expectation. So how, how are we doing in those regards? Is it working for you? Are you actually doing those steps? And you know what? Even if it's baby steps, it's okay. Man, I, I became a Christian at 13. I didn't understand what it truly meant to live my life as a Christian until I was about 24, 25. And I got the idea. I got the focus. We are to be different. We are to be in constant learning of what it means to be a Christian. There is a stark difference between what a Christian stands for and what the outside world lives for. Are you allowing God's word to change your heart to be like him? We are to be the examples of Jesus. And his word tells us about who he is. So how are you doing that? In fact, the expectation gets even greater when we read 1 Peter 1.15. It points out a bigger expectation on our lives, which is as he, which is Jesus, who has called you, is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. This is all your conduct. Man, I know I fall short. I am, I am not the best preacher type. I am not the one who, you know, I would say everybody model after me. But man, I'm trying. I'm, I'm getting into God's word. I'm, I'm making it at the forefront. And when I am continuously and in God's word, it continuously reminds me that I need to be walking in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. Because he truly needs, the world truly needs to see what it is to be a believer in Jesus. Not just somebody that sits on the sidelines. More is expected out of believers. Not only are we expected to be imitators of Jesus, uh, we are also to expect to know the difference between what a follower of Christ is versus not. We're picking back up um, in verse 18. I'm going to read 18 and 19. For many of whom I have often told you now and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, I have read scriptures. I know what Paul has, has taught in a bunch of his, his uh, the, you know, books and letters. One thing that I know about Paul, he's not really a sensitive man. So when I read this and I, I hear he, he says that I mention and he writes it with tears, man, Paul is in deep anguish over something. He was distraught. Well, why was he distraught? Well, because he was the one he is referring to in this passage, or at least his old self was. Paul used to hunt down Christians. He waged war against anyone who thought that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And it took an act of God to change his ways. But it's no different than what happens with our lives. It takes an act of God for us to willingly give him control of our lives. But Jesus met with Paul on that road to the Damascus, and he changed his vision, and he gave him the true meaning of what it was for Jesus to be on the cross. Paul writes with tears because he was, or he used to be, an enemy of the cross. He knows full well what it means to be an enemy of the cross. And so now he's just pouring out his heart and saying, don't do as I used to do. I know what it's like. I know where that leads, and it doesn't lead to a good place. It leads, as it says, that path leads to destruction. Let's call it for what it is. If you are an enemy of the cross of Christ, you have a special designated place arranged for you. It's called hell. I don't want you to be an enemy of the cross. I hope that you will give your life over to Jesus. I hope that you already have. So how do you know if you truly are an enemy of the cross of Christ? Well, you're expected to know. 
Why? Because the Bible tells us so. I mean, don't, haven't you ever learned that in your Sunday school class, right? Yes. That's why the world is made available to Scripture. I mean, it is the top-selling book almost every year. It tells us about the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. If you personally accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he, you believe that He lived a sinless life, that He went to the cross, not only that, He died, was put in to a tomb. But three days later, like Rick's expression, He brushed death off, got up, saw the people, Ascended into heaven, and now he stands, and he's, well, he sits at the right hand of God. And guess what? He is awaiting his return to get God's people. See, when you know these things, your heart changes. Your life should change. The verse goes on to say here, it says, you should no longer, and these are, the, these are the things of really what truly define what a, what a non-Christian is. It says, their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. They walk with earthly, earthly passions. That's what we are to expect of unbelievers. So I want to break down these phrases so we truly understand and get a glimpse of what Paul is talking about with these. The first phrase here, their God is their belly. Now, the word that should really come to mind here is gluttony. Someone who is overindulgent, self-centered. We all know those people, right? I mean, I used to be one of those people. But Paul writes in Romans 16, 17, and 18, and he gives us an understanding of what that is. It says, brothers, watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. See, Christians are not supposed to be like that. We are not supposed to be out for ourselves. We are supposed to have the interest of others in mind. Does that make sense? Have anybody been here through Philippians chapter 2? Hopefully that takes you back to what we learned at the beginning of chapter 2. As hard as it may be, we are to put other interests in front of our own. And I, I have a hard time doing that as a Christian, but that's our goal. That's our expectation, putting others ahead of us. The second phrase that we're going to go over here, they glory in their shame. The understanding here is pride. Someone who thinks very highly of themselves. Uh, that doesn't describe any of us, right? One that thinks, hey, I am all that and a bag of potato chips. Dorito kind. <laughs> See, pride drives us to think and even believe that we are in control. And the sad fact is, we don't. Those people think that they have some ultimate wisdom that they need to impart on somebody else. Man, that is why social media gets so much craze, because so many people who know absolutely nothing have the air to so many people. And it's I mean, really, it's worthless. If you hear some of the chatter that's out there, God says in Hosea 4, 6, and 7, and since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sin against me. I will change their glory into shame. See, those who don't uphold God's standard, they don't live by his truth, they prove that their end is destruction. A man of God or a woman of God, as we read in Philippians chapter, you know, chapter 2, verse 5 through 12, they humble themselves before the cross because Jesus was the, the, the ultimate example of what humility is all about. We as Christians should strive daily to make sure that that takes place. Jesus is the reason that we live, not to get that paycheck. The last phrase we will cover here and that we should expect out of an unbeliever, 
that their mind was on earthly things. Now, most people think, and you're drawn to that earthly things, and you're thinking, oh, this means that they are worldly. Um, I'm not most people, so I'm going to go with a different way. The closest association of what this is talking about when it says that they are, they are, um, they set their minds on earthly things, they are short-sighted. And this is going to flow right into, you know, our, our next, our next verses, but those people are living for the here and the now. They don't understand or don't consider what is going to happen in the future. They have spiritual short-sightedness. They think that every road of religion, by doing good works, is going to lead them to heaven. They think that they've got their fire insurance card in their pocket. Hey, it's okay, I'm a good person. Let me in. Let's just be blatantly honest here. This is the only life that you have to make a profession in Jesus Christ. You don't get another one. You don't get reincarnated to come back and try to do it all over again. This is it. If you don't understand what it means to, to believe in Jesus Christ, man, there are some eternal consequences awaiting you. As Christians, we should be prompted to be sharing our faith actively. Why? Because there is no future for anybody that doesn't have Jesus. They remain enemies of the cross. And it goes on because we should expect opposition from those who are enemies of the cross. And here's the thing. It can be in very subtle ways. Subtle ways. I mean, it's... All right, let me just give you an example. All right, nobody back in my day thought anything of, of just learning about uh, Darwinism, the theory of evolution. Do you know now that in the Common Core curriculum in elementary school and actually going into higher grade levels, that evolution is actually spoken about as like truth, absolute truth? That we all started from, I don't even know what, I don't even remember what the story of evolution is because I don't believe in it. Not only that, but our culture has really changed the shape of what we think is right or wrong. Like the buying power. Man, if you got money, go spend it on this. Hey, here's a nice boat. Here's the biggest house. Come get it. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad. But when your first priority is those things, yeah, that's, or, or even you're running your credit up and you don't even have the money to cover what you're buying. That is not the way of what a Christian is is supposed to live like. In fact, today's society actually says, hey, if you're in love, it's okay. Move in with each other. You know, spend spend the rest of your life with each other. You know, it's, you know what? That is not God's standard. That is not what we have been brought up to in the Bible standards. Every form of religion always stresses good works will gain you that entrance into heaven. Because you know why? They think the Bible is flawed. I'm here to tell you that this is 100% accurate. All right? You find me one page in this book that is not true, guess what? I'll step away and I will not be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the boldness that we have to stand up to because Scripture is that true, it is not flawed. And we have to get back to the basics of being in God's Word. That is where we are expected to be and how we know that those who are not of Jesus are, are not. The world continues to criticize Christians as being closed-minded. Well, the fact is, I'm not closed-minded. I'm only telling the truth of what Scripture says. I didn't throw this in the slide, but John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. That's blatant. That's not me talking or me putting my own words on anything. That's Jesus saying, nobody comes to heaven but through me. But yet, I'm closed-minded. That's what the world thinks of me. Well, no, it's not. Because I try not to let my self-centeredness, my pride, or my short-sightedness get in the way. I have given that over to Jesus, and he is changing that in me. So I ask that question of all of us here. Has your perspective been skewed? 
Are you conforming to the ways of the world or to the ways that Scripture teaches? Is your pride in check? Is your selfishness being flushed out? Let me ask this. What about your future plans? Is anybody awaiting their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? I I should get Pentecostal right here because this is where it really is. Jesus is coming back. It is promised. Let me say that again. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Why do you ask? Why do you, how, do, how can I stand up? Well, the Bible tells me so. <laughs> Continuing on, verse 20 and 21, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, every time I read this verse, and it might not get to you yet, but I get goosebumps. This, this is a de- declaration of Christ's return for his people. Jesus is coming back for any of those of us who have put our trust and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what? He's coming back! Christians are to expect that Jesus is coming back. It says right there, it says, we await our Savior. This is talking about the, the, the blessed hope that Rick even said in his prayer today. I, I was about ready to beat him because I was thinking he was stealing my message away from me today. But Titus 2.13, it says, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back soon i love it he is our hope see when we say that we are hope-filled people it can only be because of jesus i gotta tell you people this as is as great as it is this is not our home man i love my life i love my wife i love my kid but you know what Heaven is greater. Our citizenship is in heaven. We have a future home. We have something to look forward to. A place of permanence. A place that is undefiled. A place where neither rust nor moth can destroy It's a place where neither no no thieves can break in and steal anything. It is heaven. Heaven is simply described as a kingdom where the Father is, where angels are present, where our great reward is, where there is peace. Now, you ask me, how do I know that? (laughs) Seriously, I looked them up this morning. In this book, those were all the descriptions of what heaven was. And there's a whole bunch more. I just wrote down a few of them. And you know what the, the best thing about that is? It's promised. We don't have to just have a fleeting mind say, oh, I'm hoping that it's going to happen. No, it's a promise. Every religion thinks that they know what will happen after we pass from this life to the next. But nothing can compare to what the promises of God has for us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the reason why when I go to funerals, and, and there's two stark differences. If it's a believer in Jesus Christ, I, I find myself, I don't cry. They've beaten me to the party, you know. I'm waiting that. But if I know that it is somebody who does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, man, tears shed. Because they're, they're not going to be with the Lord. We as Christians can expect God to deliver on his promises. The book of Hebrews tells us that God cannot lie. It is a done deal. It is, like he said, it is finished. He has made that way. I'll give you an example of how we can, hopefully, if you don't have that hope or that joy yet, hopefully try to 
to understand it. Now, this is just a poll. Every day that I wake up, I always see the sun coming up in the east. Anybody with me? Everybody, everybody see that? Yeah, I see a few nods. Some people, uh, if, you, if you don't know. Well, I see it. It comes up in the east, and it sets in the west. Day after day, bam, bam. It goes over the sun. It's pretty consistent. It's been like that for all the days of my life, and I'm pretty sure that it will continue on, you know, after the day. In fact, tomorrow when I wake up to go to work, I'm pretty sure the sun is going to come up in the east. Right? Guess what? I don't know anywhere in Scripture that God says that that is the way the sun is, has to be, that it has to come up in the east and it has to set in the west. But he's given us this promise. The God of the universe has given us a promise. He is coming back. He has promised us a future home with him. And not only a future home, this is, this is the even cooler thing, He's given us a new body. From heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Guys, we get to have a glorified body just like Jesus. When He came out of the grave, and people saw him walking in the streets and were able to touch his nail-pierced hands, we get that body. It's incorruptible. Jesus seriously went dead, died in the tomb, came up and said, Woo! This is what I am preparing for you. We get to relish, we get to live in that because that is the example he has set for us. And I know a lot of you, and I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure, you know, some of you think that you're living in your glorified body now, as wonderful as you think that is. This body is not suited for heaven, all right? I mean, all right, just look at me for an example. I mean, you probably can't, you've probably seen in my beard, you see the ha gray hairs? Yeah? You weren't there at my house this morning, but walking down the steps, man, all those joints popping. <laughs> This is frail. It's wasting away. Man, I'm aging. I know all of us try to do as much as we can to stop that aging process, but our bodies are aging. But it is only by the power of Jesus that he can take away our sin and he can make this body become truly whole. Only God possesses that power. We get to have new bodies. And in turn, when we receive these bodies, we will be doing it again. We will be displaying the glory of our Lord and Savior. You want to know why? Because we will be imitating him yet again. He started with the glorified body, but then he passes that on to us. So my question arises, man, are you excited? I mean, if you don't have a smile on your face and it's okay, you express your expressions different ways, that's great. But man, I'm excited. Are you expecting Jesus at any time? We are citizens of heaven. Today, if you call yourself a Christian, you are a citizen of heaven. So act like it. Christians are expected to know their Savior. Know, they know what he has promised, and they expect him to return at any time. That's how we honor God with our expectation. So what expectations do you have in your life? Do they line up with God's truth? If you were to measure yourself up to other Christians that have gone before you, maybe to Paul or Jesus, where are you? Because here's the simple thing. It's our choice. We can either choose to be like that or not. Are you making the right choices? And I don't want to leave it just with that because we, 
I haven't covered all the verses, so we need to go on to our last one. But um, Paul writes in 4.1, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I long, who I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. See, Paul is no longer with us. He has gone on to be with Jesus, but he's, he's left us kind of this creed. He says, my brothers, my faithful brothers in Jesus Christ, guess what? I long for you. Hurry up. You're going to come, whether it's through death or whether it's through Jesus returning. I want you to come and enjoy what I am now going to enjoy. But there is a there is that standard again. He starts this verse off again with the word brothers. This is all dependent upon whether you are part of the family of God. I said earlier, you have to have a personal relationship with our Savior Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who is the Savior of the whole entire world. And this is not to be inclusive just for those who are Christian. It's meant to be exclusive, meaning anybody, at any time, Christ has made himself available to be your Savior. I ask you, if you haven't yet, put your faith in him. Man, look at all the joyous luxuries we get to experience. I invite you into the family of God. And for those of you who are already my brothers and sisters, are you standing firm in the Lord as what the passage says? As Christians, we are expected to be imitators of Christ Jesus. Let's start living like that. If you would, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I... I thank you for the courage to just, you know, press upon my heart the meanings of these scriptures. Lord, I am, oh, I, I bask in that day that you will return. Lord, and man, I thank you for the promises that you have given me through your word. But you have also given me expectations, not only about your return, but what I am to do while I await your return. And it goes for all my Christian brothers and sisters. We are to be living for you, to be examples of who you are, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that there's something in our lives that is holding us back, that we, we get rid of it and come on board with you, Lord, that we rise up with that joy and that thankfulness because we have glorified bodies awaiting us. And Lord Jesus, if there is somebody that has not accepted you, press upon their hearts that they need you. Because only you can give them what they truly need. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for just your word. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for the love that you have given to us in Jesus. Amen.